Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Journal Podcasts, In Conversation. Hello and welcome to the April 2023 edition of the EVJ Podcast. I'm your host, Rhiannon Morgan. Today, Anna-Maria Nagy is joining us to discuss a recent paper, which you can find in the early view section of the EVJ website. The paper is titled, Complications Following Diagnostic and Therapeutic Sacroiliac Joint Region Injections in Horses a study describing clinicians' experiences. Anna-Maria is Associate Professor at the Equine Clinic of the University of Veterinary Medicine in Hungary, and she heads the Diagnostic Imaging and Equine Orthopaedics Unit. (laughs) Anna-Maria, thank you very much for joining us to talk about your paper on sacroiliac joint injections um, that's in the early view section of the EVJ website at the moment. So if I can start by asking some of the more basic questions, I wanted to hear what problems arise in the sacroiliac area, what pathologies you see, and how horses experience these and how they manifest in the clinical signs. Okay, so the first part of the question, I'm not sure uh, I can answer you fully. We know that sacroiliac joint region pain is common in horses, and uh, it most often uh, presents as poor performance, but we occasionally see the lame horses as well. But the lameness is associated with pain uh, coming from the sacroiliac joint region. So most horses um, show the most pronounced signs when they are ridden, particularly in the canter. So they might be, uh, they might find canter difficult. They might find it difficult to maintain canter. They might get disunited or uh, stop and break back to trot. Uh, some horses would uh, kick out uh, and other horses might have a very stiff, stilted canter, which really resembles like bunny hopping. Some show jumpers might have issues when they are jumping. They might kick out over the fence. With regards to what pathology we see in the area, we have limited ability to um, possibilities to diagnose the actual pathologies. We do know from postmortem studies that um, Pathology in the sacroiliac joints themselves, so uh, osteoarthritis uh, type of lesions are quite common, and they are too common uh, for us to think that they are always associated with uh, clinical signs. So quite likely they do with developing some horses without causing uh, clinical issues. With regards to uh, diagnostic imaging, uh, we do see uh, ultrasonographic abnormalities on rectal ultrasound in both the ventral aspect of the sacroiliac joints and also in the lumbosacral joints, including the um, intercentral and the intertransverse joints. Do you want me to talk about more imaging or? Well, yeah, how, how are these problems best diagnosed? So, it is my firm belief that we do need diagnostic anesthesia to confirm that the sacroiliac joint uh, region is the source of the horse's pain and uh, clinical signs. I think uh, diagnostic imaging can reveal interesting information, but uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that we do see an imaging abnormalities that that design uh, that's the, is the cause of pain. For example, with scintigraphy, we know that we can have also false negative and false uh, positive results. In a previous study, they showed that uh, nearly half of the horses with um, increased uptakes, only half of, uh, less than half of them uh, with increased uptake in the region responded to diagnostic anesthesia. And um, they only found 
increased radiopharmaceutical uptake in less than half of the horses that underwent scintigraphy and diagnostic anesthesia as well. Okay, and do you find that the sacroiliac joint problems are usually seen on their own or in combination with other pathologies? Now, we do see the occasional case where uh, it presents alone, but in most horses, uh, we also see um, concurrent, mostly high limb lameness, sometimes thoracal uh, lumbar pain and occasionally forelimb lameness. And thinking about previous studies, what have they found when investigating the types and prevalence of complications associated with injections in this area, which is what your paper is focusing on? Yes, there was only one previous study that specifically uh, investigated the uh, the prevalence of complications, and that was uh, from a clinic, uh, an equine clinic by Offord and his colleagues. And they looked into complications following uh, diagnostic anesthesia of uh, the sacral joint region in 118 horses. And they only found one horse uh, that showed a mild transient high limb gait abnormality. There are some other previous studies which didn't focus on the prevalence of complications, but they described in how many horses they saw. So there was a study from the Animal Health Trust where they uh, described the uh, clinical signs of uh, sacroiliac joint region pain, and they only had uh, two out of the 296 horses showing some mild and transient ataxia. So it is pretty low. It's it's, uh, between probably uh, 0.7 and 2%. Okay, so what were the objectives and hypotheses of this paper? So the main objective of the study was to describe uh, the types uh, of complications that uh, clinicians experience following three types of injections. And one was uh, diagnostic anesthesia, the other was medication of the sacroiliac joint region, uh, joint region. And we also wanted to ask clinicians about the complications they experienced following combined injections. So when they injected a local anesthetic solution with some therapeutic substance. And we also wanted to ask these clinicians about their preferred methods of injections. For example, what volume and substance they used and under what circumstances they injected the sacroiliac joint regions, what their preferred technique was, whether they injected horses, for example, in stocks, whether they used ultrasound guidance, um, whether they sedated horses and the types of uh, needles that they used. Uh, there was also an additional objective where we wanted to see if there was any association between um, the complications experienced and any of the other variables, such as the, the method of injection. So we hypothesized that uh, more clinicians would see uh, ataxia and mild nerve dysfunction uh, than serious complications. And we also hypothesized that uh, we would see uh, different types of uh, complications following diagnostic than therapeutic injections. Okay, so how did you collect the large amount of data that you presented in this study? Well, I prepared an online questionnaire, which took quite a lot of um, time and effort from the clinicians that participate, participate, uh, participated. So a uh, huge thanks uh, goes to them uh, for this. So we prepared the questionnaire with three different parts. We asked uh, details about um, the clinicians first, uh, their experience, how long ago they graduated, 
uh, and uh, then we are separate questions for uh, diagnostic, therapeutic and combined injections about how they were performed and what, under what circumstances and what were the clinicians' preferred methods and also what uh, type of complications the clinicians uh, encountered following each uh, injection technique or injection method. So which clinicians were you targeting and who was eligible? So any clinician who had performed at least one sacroiliac joint injection was eligible to participate in the study. And we specifically uh, targeted members of the American and European Colleges of Veterans Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation and the European College of Veterans Surgeons. The information about the study was sent to the mail servers of these colleges. And in addition to that, we also contacted uh, clinicians and clinics individually who uh, were known to us to perform sacroiliac joint region injections. Okay, so I imagine you had quite a lot of data. How did you analyze it? Yeah, so we had uh, 212 respondents. Uh, We uh, used descriptive statistics to describe our results. And uh, in order to try to analyze potential association between uh, variables and uh, complications following injections, we use first univariable analysis. And if they had a p-value of less than 0.2, then uh, we performed multivariable logistic regression. So when you were um, formulating your results, how many respondents did you were you able to extract results from? And what proportion of these had injected the area either for diagnostic, therapeutic or combined purposes? So in total, we had 212 respondents, so quite a lot of data, uh, luckily. Uh, 110 clinicians, so just uh, over half of the respondents had performed diagnostic anesthesia. The majority of the clinicians, nearly 90%, had performed uh, some medications, so therapeutic injections, and just over 23% had performed combined injections. And which approach did you find was most popular for the injections? Was there any particular approach that was associated with complications? So for um, the diagnostic and the combined injections, uh, most clinicians preferred the cranial contralateral blind approach. And for the therapeutic injections, the uh, cranial contralateral blind and the cranial ipsilateral uh, techniques were quite popular. And no, we did not find any association between the injection technique and the complications. But again, we were looking at the clinician's general preference and not individual cases. Okay. And when looking at the different types of diagnostic analgesia and the therapeutics used, what did you find was most used? Um, And again, did the selection have any effect on the risk of complications seen? So for diagnostic injections, mepivacaine was uh, far the most commonly used local anesthetic solution. For uh, medication of the sacroiliac joint regions, uh, most people use steroids and approximately a third of them also used a pitcher plant extract. The most commonly used steroids were uh, methylprednisolone acetate and triamcinolone. And regards to any association, no, we did not find any significant association between any of the substances used and complications. You also asked about the length of the needle used and whether um, clinicians curved it or used a straight needle. 
What did you find um, in regard to this? So most clinicians prefer the straight needle, but it was quite surprising to me that there was quite a range uh, in preference of uh, in the needle lengths. Um, generally speaking, most clinicians like the 13.1 to 16 centimeters, so that's the um, uh, 5 to 6 inch length uh, needle, but many cl clinicians use shorter and longer needles as well. And did you see a decreased rate of complication with a curved needle? Am I correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, so there was, uh, when we analyzed the um, association between the variables and um, the uh, risk of complication following uh, combined injections, we did find that a longer length needle uh, uh, increased the risk of complication while the curved needle decreased the risk of complications, but it was only in the univariable analysis. It did not remain significant in the multivariable model. Okay. You also asked clinicians about the volumes they used. Did you find any link to risk of complication associated with volume? So clinicians use quite similar volume for uh, all three types of injections. They uh, used a little bit more, so median of 10, uh, 12 milliliters for the diagnostic injections and the median of 10 uh, milliliters for the therapeutic and combined injections, but this difference was not statistically significant. Uh, it was interesting when we asked clinicians whether they've changed the volume over time that approximately one third of them uh, decreased uh, the injected volume. And they uh, did that because of either proven or perceived uh, increases of complication with, um, in their experience with a higher volume. Uh, statistically, in our analysis, we did find a slight increased risk of complications with increasing volume following therapeutic injections. Yeah. Okay. And Anna-Maria, you asked clinicians whether they use sedation and skin blebs. Did you find any, any of these or either of these that were associated with risk of complications? No, neither of these were associated with complications, but we found that most clinicians have used sedation for um, therapeutic and combined injections, but uh, two-thirds of the clinicians have also used sedation uh, for diagnostic blocks. With regards to the skin blab, uh, it was quite popular for OS3 injection, uh, so all for uh, diagnostic, therapeutic, and also for combined injections. Over half of the clinicians have used the skin blab. So what complications were mostly seen and um did a certain type of injection, diagnostic or therapeutic, have a higher risk factor for complication? So the most common uh, complication was hind limb weakness and ataxia following all types of injections, but more clinicians uh, saw this type of complication following uh, diagnostic injection than after therapeutic injection. Okay, and a small number of clinicians saw other side effects such as sciatic, femoral, or obturator nerve dysfunction, um, shivering, or string halt behavior. Could you just talk us through the clinical presentation for these conditions, maybe refresh our memories <laughs> as to how they would manifest these problems and what we'd be looking for? Sure. So we hypothesize that these kind of nerve, nerve dysfunctions are due to uh, cranial and caudal diffusion of the local anesthetic solution. So if the local anesthetic solution goes cranially, then we can potentially desensitize the femoral nerve. 
And then these horses will um, drop the stifle, they are unable to extend uh, and load the limb, and they may also knuckle over the fetlock. If the local anesthetic reaches the obturator nerve, also cranially, then uh, horses might sort of splay out uh, and they are unable to adduct the limb. With caudal diffusion, if reached the sciatic nerve, then uh, horses will have their stifle and their hook extended. They drag the limb behind with the fetlock flexed. And with the uh, strinkled type gait, uh, horses will uh, show exaggerated flexion of the limb and they quite often uh, adduct the limb. So they might be kicking their bellies. And this is usually seen in forward gaits, most commonly in the walk and sometimes in the trot. With shivering, uh, it's usually seen when the horse is um, stepping backwards and these horses um, may... Uh, show exaggerated uh, flexion or sometimes extension with the limb um, abducted, so uh, lifted away from the body. And some, some of these horses will be reluctant to pick up the hind limb. Did you see any of these um, present or did any of the clinicians see any of these after injection? Yes, a small number of clinicians uh, did experience these kind of complications. And what was quite interesting that some of the clinicians uh, experienced shivering and strinkle-like symptoms quite uh, time after, so not immediately following in uh, the injection, but sometimes days or even weeks later. So that kind of leads me on to my next question. Um, at what time after the injections did most of the complications arise and subside again? So we did not ask for uh, this a specific question because we didn't want to rely too much on how well clinicians could remember. There could be quite a lot of recall bias there as we didn't expect them to go through the case records. The only uh, complication where we did ask specifically about time was recumbency. So we wanted to uh, know whether horses became recumbent pretty much immediately after injection or there was uh, some time when horses uh, showed signs of of ataxia uh, or weakness and nerve dysfunction before they went down. Okay. Um, five horses, unfortunately, receiving the therapeutic injections and one horse receiving a diagnostic injection um, died after the procedures. Do we have a reason or an explanation as to why this happened? No, we did not ask specifically uh, clinicians to attribute um, potential or confirmed uh, causes of death. There was an open question where they had a chance to comment on uh, anything they saw that might be related to complications they experience, but none of them um, made any comments about the horse that died or was euthanized related to sacral leg joint injections. Okay. Um and on, on a side note, um, I wondered if you'd asked about the incidence of abnormal reactions of the horses to injections, such as um, unexpected reactions like them jumping out of stocks or um, overreacting to the injection, um, incidents of either the horses hurting themselves or whether there were injuries to the clinicians themselves when administering the injections? Um, no, we didn't. And um, I think it's mostly because of our own experience um, that we find this injection 
very well tolerated in most horses. And I personally haven't had any horse hurting themselves or anyone around them when performing these ejections. I find that even with some very difficult and kicking horses that I really struggle injecting their limbs more distally, they tolerate its injection quite well. And do you have a take-home message for us? So based on our study, we can say that complications are most commonly seen following diagnostic and therapeutic or combined injections. But we did see uh, a similar distribution and types of complications following all three injections. So put into clinical uh, context, this means that uh, medications not necessarily uh, a preventative of complications, but all our results have to put into context and interpret it in the light of previously published very low prevalence of complications. So it's very important that this common um, clinical scenario of sacroiliac joint uh, region pain is uh, diagnosed accurately and then uh, treated and managed appropriately. Okay, well, we really appreciate your time um, spent talking us through your study. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thanks again for listening and please join us in two months for the next EVJ in Conversation podcast. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Channel podcast. More about the subjects discussed today can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash evj.